Hello, welcome to this Head Talks podcast. I'm Terry Stiasny, and I went to meet the journalist Mark Austin and his daughter Maddie at their family home. My name's Mark Austin, and I am the father of Maddie Austin, um, who had a bit of bad luck recently. And we are going to talk to you about how eating disorders and mental health issues affect families. I am Maddie Austin. I am Mark Austin's daughter. Um, I suffered with anorexia in my late teens. I'm now 23. And we are sort of speaking out to try and raise awareness of mental health. What point was it in your life when things started to go wrong with your eating? So I think it was around the age of 17. I Initially it wasn't my eating, I just got incredibly low and I always like emphasise this is that eating disorders often, most of the time, almost always come because of this really un, like underlying depression um, and it, so that started when I was about 17 and then I found comfort in the fact that I could control something in my life when everything else felt really out of control. And for me, I used food. So slowly just like controlling everything that I ate. And obviously within a very short period of time, I just completely lost control of that and yeah, entered into this awful world. But that was probably when I was, probably got bad when I was 18. And what sort of things were you doing? Looking back at yourself then, and how you were and how you were behaving. How did that sort of manifest itself? Obviously not eating, but what else were you doing? I was just a completely different person. I was completely shut myself off from the world. I also just refused to accept that there was anything wrong with me at all, whilst going for hours and hours walks and lying. I was so manipulative. I was just... I almost, I almost can't remember it. It was just so, like... Strange. It was like I was completely taken over. Yeah. It was all consuming, wasn't it? Yeah. It really was. Yeah, you became absolutely vile and um, um, manipulative and cunning and, and got to all sorts of tricks just to, um, to try and get away from eating and try and avoid eating. And uh, it was very difficult at the beginning because uh, we didn't understand it. I didn't understand it. And I got it all pretty badly wrong. I just thought it was some sort of fad some you know eating issue that teenage girls get and but of course it's not it's a mental illness and until you realize that it's a mental illness then you don't really deal with it properly and actually one of the issues (coughs) that we found is that um, society doesn't really recognize it truly as a mental illness and there are just not the resources or the trained people to deal with it and it's you know it's it's um it's a borderline epidemic in this country now eating disorders amongst teenagers and uh, boys and girls but mainly girls and I was just astonished at how a little is known about it and b how scarce the resources are to deal with it and of course it's something that it's a mental illness that uh, has a physical manifestation that can lead to your death very quickly so it's a it's not a um, a typical mental illness in that sense it's a you know, a particularly dangerous one. What was the point at which you really realised that, that Maddie had an illness, and this wasn't just some sort of you know, extreme teenage behaviour? I think when she was losing weight dramatically and had got down to what was a life-threatening weight in many ways and was, you know, having a real impact on her physically in terms of sort of even her bones were being affected, she was becoming very... Um, 
covered in um, sores and, and just very thin, very hollow-eyed. Very, And even then, she did not really appreciate what she was doing to herself. And I thought, thought then that this is not just someone who you know, wants to lose weight. This is someone who's in the grip of something much more serious than that. And uh, that's when I realised it was, a, or began to think it was a mental illness. But it was very late by then. And, you know, but also we couldn't find help. We couldn't get help. We, we you know, her first, you were diagnosed and then they put you on sort of fortnightly or at best weekly appointments for an hour maybe where they'd weigh you and ask you how you're doing and give you a meal plan. and But that was too easy to get around. So things just deteriorated and deteriorated. There was no early intervention. And I think that's one of the things that I find most difficult to accept, that, that the specialists know that early intervention is the key, and yet there was no serious attempt at early intervention, significant intensive intervention in her case, and it, things just did you know, pretty dramatically deteriorated. So what was the kind of treatment that you found worked best once you found the right place to be and the help that you needed? So eventually, after a very long time of just bi-weekly appointments, which ended in a stint of being an inpatient after things went really drastically wrong, I left that inpatient unit and I started an NHS day patient unit where I'd go in 8am to half three, so I'd get, and that was every day except for weekends, and I'd get to go home in the evening. And this is what, and yeah, okay, it is easy to manipulate that system, just like it is easy to manipulate any other system. But it wasn't like you're being force-fed. They really took care of, like, your mind, what's going on. They didn't give up on me at all, even though the first few months were incredibly difficult. And I met a key nurse there who was just amazing. And she said to me, you've got three options. You can live this life that you're living, which is sort of this like half life because no one's going to let you die from this. Um, but only you can actually recover from this. You can just live this life. You can die from it. You can end your life. You can stop eating completely or you um, can try and recover. And yeah, that was quite a big turning point. It didn't all go plain sailing from there, but I, that's one thing that I do vividly remember from that service. And so they'd give, give you meals and they would give you very intensive therapy every day. And I think that was key. And we were given our own independence in the evening. So it wasn't like we were, I was being whisked off 200 miles from my home to just be in one place. And when I left, that was it. It, it was I'd leave every day and I'd come back and I knew that I'd be going back and I could come home and be integrated into a life that I was used to and that would continue after treatment. What sort of effect does that have on the family? I mean, obviously the treatment has worked well and, you know, it's great <coughs> to see that you're better. How would you say it's affected you now? Um, I am very aware of my emotions, but I do think it has really taught me that I can open up about anything there's no shame in mental health we all have mental health whether it's good or bad and we all have periods in our life when we struggle and I've become a lot better at just being like I'm not okay we were very lucky in the sense that we went through something that normally is much more a uh, much lengthier illness and we were told to prepare for five to ten years maybe and of course some people have 
quite a serious eating disorder for many more years than that. So in some ways, we were lucky to have found the kind of help that eventually did the trick for Maddie, but that's not going to help everybody. But as a family, the stresses on the family were in, in extraordinary. I mean, you know, it rips apart the family. You know, meal times become a battle zone. Our relationship completely collapsed. You know, she wouldn't uh, talk to me, wouldn't listen to me. We had a terrible uh, relationship for probably two years. And, and it was all about, you know, not fully understanding what was going on. Even when you do understand what's going on, you do understand it's a mental illness. It's a very difficult thing to live with because you think it would be the easiest thing in the world to sort out, but it's not. It's really difficult. I mean, I'm married to an A&E doctor, and, you know, she didn't really spot it and found it very difficult to come to grips with and come to terms with. And, you know, this was something... And if, you know, if quite a sort of pushy journalist and an a and e doctor struggles, then you imagine what other families who, you know, are going through. And, and in the absence of these resources that are so important... I really think that there, there are sort of many thousands of families up and down this country really struggling with it at the moment. And there is still a stigma. I mean, one of the reasons we, or I wrote a piece in the Sunday Times and we made a documentary was because to try and get rid of that stigma and try and talk about it more and just to point out to people that this is not normal, but it's, it's common and, you know, it should be talked about. And I think one of the... As we were making the documentary, the uh, Kensington Palace launched this Heads Together campaign, uh, which was all about talking about mental health. And that actually ran in parallel with our uh, documentary. And it, it that, and that had a really powerful impact because they sponsored the London Marathon and you know it got talked about. And they, William and Harry, sort of started talking about how important it is to you know be open about all this. And and you know, there seemed to be some real momentum about mental health. And I think the key is to try and keep that momentum going and to try and force, you know, Jeremy Hunt or whoever is health secretary in the future to, to, to realise that this is, you know, that the early intervention and more resources can save you money in the long run because you'll have a lot of people who are seriously, seriously mentally ill and depressed and would need looking after for a long time unless you do sort this out. And what would you both say to other families, other people that find themselves in a similar situation? I mean, this is not obviously something you can get through without outside help. But if you do see signs from, from either of your points of view, what would you suggest or recommend others to do? I would say insist on a really strong early intervention and, and, and try and find somewhere very quickly that is going to take it seriously and not just put you on once a fortnight um, appointments, but to, to, you know, if necessary, get in as an inpatient very early or get in as a day patient very early. There's no other way, really. The problem is that, you know, Maddie, for, for many, many months, was not deemed ill enough to be an inpatient. Well, she was ill enough to be, you know, on the verge of organ failure and ill enough to be you know, um, seriously underweight and ill enough for her sort of body to be shutting down, but seriously not well enough to be in an inpatient bed for an eating disorder. I mean, it is absolutely ridiculous. And what it's not, it's not about, shouldn't be about how ill you are. It should be early and quick intervention because if you just let everybody get as ill as they can or as they do, before they sort of physically collapse and then we throw them in 
there's ne then you're never going to you're never going to treat the illness in a way it should be treated and which in a way you were lucky enough to be treated eventually i mean that you know hers was quite a short-lived illness really and she's come out the other side touch wood and we hope and there's no respite but she's come out the other side and is talking about it you know but um, so we were very fortunate but the resources are not there to help uh, all the people who need it is no shame in actually saying what you're feeling instead of taking it out on yourself. I think we live in this society where it's almost like shut up, stop talking, deal with it yourself. And that's not, that is not how things should be. And it is possible to recover from a mental illness. I spent a long time just surrounded by people in treatment who obviously weren't well and thinking this is my life for the rest of my life, thinking that it wasn't possible. I never heard stories of people who had recovered from a mental illness. And now that we've come out and spoken about it, I've had hundreds of people message me like, oh, I really resonate with your story, like, thank you for speaking out. And it's actually like, you can recover from a mental illness. There is no shame in, in speaking about it.